House of Run podcast. What are you into these days? Mostly running, Howard. Running. Yeah. Look at Bill! Look at Bill! It's coming on! Tell them coming on! I'm not thinking about making the team. I'm thinking about gold in Munich. What can I say? I got beat by Zebra. Starts now. Welcome back to the House of Run podcast. Houseofrun at gmail.com is our email address. A little slower week this week in the running world in terms of news. So, Jason, I wanted to start off by asking a favor of the listeners. Yeah. I don't ask for much on this show, but I have one request. Sure. Because, because there's something special coming up, and the special thing is your birthday Oh. And the favor I want is somebody connected with a company called Nike to send you some vapor flies. That's all I ask <laughs> is that can we get some fast shoes to the man who deserves them more than any other person out there? Can we get some shoes to Jason? I'm not asking for the alpha flies or the next percents or whatever. Can we just get the original fast shoes? The original four percenters. To my co-host. Is there, is there a way we can do that? Can you <laughs> Someone email me, houseoverrun at gmail.com. Send me a direct message on Twitter. We can keep this clandestine. Someone within the company must listen to this show. Got to be at least one Twist. Person. Dwight, conspiracy theory, Dwight works for Nike. That's, that's the <laughs> twist we, don't, we haven't seen coming. And I won't even disclose his name. I don't know. What do people use? <laughs> Signal? Like that's what real journalists use to get like encrypted messages from like oh. sources out there in the field. We can do we can do this. We can do like a parking garage meetup, maybe package some baton handoffs while we're there. Uh, there's really no limit to what we can do. I need to get Jason <laughs> some fast shoes for, for his birthday here in what, two days? Uh, three days. I believe it. today's the 21st. It is. It is. So, okay, so the 24th. Yeah, the 24th is my birthday. I meant two days after the p- it posts, because it's not going to... It I posts, yes. That, that's accurate. Yeah, sorry. I, I'm, I'm, I'm ruining the illusion of when, we, <laughs> when we're recording this. On today's show, speaking of shoe takes, look, they were talking about the shoes on PTI, so we can't, we can't ignore Ugh. this. We got to go all in. I'm sure it's some nuanced takes that uh, two guys who <laughs> never watch any track and field in their entire lives are going to have. They do a lot of running, though. Um, I love those guys. Have by Alex the way, but like, on. come on, like anytime they're like going to talk about running, it's going to be like, uh, do they have any clue whatsoever? No, no, that's why we're going to balance it out. We're going to bring Alex Hutchinson yeah. on, so we're going to have him. That's true. He does know what he's talking about. Yeah, and I don't know what what the PTI co-hosts uh, said about it. I'm not sure, um, but we know that you have your strong opinions. Also, we're going to talk to Alex just about Kipchoge in general. Uh, also, yep. he wrote a really interesting piece about world championships, about how fast the times were there. So I'm very excited to chat with him. We've talked with him a bunch of times in the past, always super insightful, and I'm sure Jason will get really frustrated when he talks about how fast the shoes go. So that's going to be good. It's a birthday present. It's a it's it's like you're giving me a birthday present on on your almost birthday, Jason. I get to listen. Yeah, to this. no, I'm I'm excited. Um, you know, he's he's a very smart guy, much smarter than I am. But um, so I'm always excited to, you know, take the opposite side of someone who knows more than I do. Um, Seems it's like a, with auto, it's, <laughs> worth, it's it's just it's something I just want to consistently do. Is where I am, you know, completely oblivious oblivious on everything that's happening, and I'm just going to be like, hey. Here's a thing I've thought about for 45 seconds, and prove me wrong. So-called expert. Before we get to him, though, let's talk about Shalane Flanagan, who announced her retirement today. Yeah, it was going to be a slow week. 
and then mm-hmm. one of the you know best female distance runners in U.S. history uh, decides to, to to hang up the spikes and the distance running shoes and the flats and the <laughs> marathons and the everything. Um, Shalane Flanagan's awesome. Who doesn't love Shalane Flanagan? Like, mm-hmm. good luck. Even on Twitter, you'll have a hard time finding like a negative take on Shalane Flanagan today. True. Um, which kind of tells you everything you need to know. But um, she's been very, very good for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, she was great on the track. She won a silver medal at, so, so, silver medal in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got finished all three spots at New York City. Uh, gold, silver, bronze. Uh, it, she's She's just so easy to like and um great great career i mean i don't know she's 38 it makes sense even though i'm a little surprised she's doing it before the olympic year Mm -hmm. but uh obviously i think i think at that point if you're doing it at the olympic year like you know hey i'm just i'm done yeah i don't have it anymore injuries injuries it speaks a lot to shalane flanagan's career that if she hadn't announced her retirement and she was on the entries for the olympic trials I probably would have talked myself into picking her because yeah, I probably would have said like Shalane's going to finish third. Yeah. She has made four Olympic teams and you just didn't know. You've never wanted, you would never count her out of a race now that she's not there. Obviously op- I think it clearly opens up a spot, but yeah, just look at some of the, you mentioned all the things that she's accomplished. I mean, before and her career obviously overlapped a bunch with Molly Huddle, but people make points now about how many U S titles Molly Huddle wins. That right. was like Shalane Flanagan before, right? Didn't matter if it was cross country, road, track. She was just like winning everything. And she was usually doing it in very, very dominant fashion from the gun. Wasn't messing around a lot. Um, I remember, was it 2010? I went to US Cross with uh, with Dan, now of New York City prediction fame. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's where he, he was like, he had never been to a professional race before, and he's just was like blown away by Shalane Flanagan killing everybody from the, Shay, from the, yeah, aka the freak. Yeah. Cause she was just, she just dominated from, from gun to tape. So I'll, I'll remember that racing style, of course. And I mean, the New York city win, right? That's, that's yeah, iconic. That's, I mean, that's first, even though she has a silver medal in the 10,000. Yeah, upgraded from bronze. That's, she crossed the line third, yeah. so that was kind of different. But yeah, true. But yeah, you you win New York City. It was such a huge deal, and th- those were ten years apart. Her Olympic silver medal and her gold medal in yeah. New York City. I mean, so. four four Olympic teams. Awesome. That's incredible yeah. to, to put out four Olympic teams. I mean, yeah, and it's it's just one of those. Like I said, it's just everybody. It's. One of those rare times, it's just like I was just like looking at Twitter and like smiling constantly at like all the nice things people were saying and all these this good stuff because everyone's just like, oh, one of the best. And she announced that she's going to be a coach, which yeah, Bowerman Trek. I'm sure she'll be great at because yeah. why wouldn't she be? Um, so yeah, just just um, you know, it's a it's a bummer to not see her run anymore. Um, but uh, you know, she'll still be a part of the sport, and she's you know she's 38. She's been a really good runner for like what 15 years. Yeah. That's hard to do. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, yeah, going. I mean, she was really good in college, right? Going all the way back that far. Careers don't usually last this long, which is why she's held in in such regard. But yeah, it'll feel weird. I think the Olympic trials will feel a little weird without her being there, and obviously just Olympics in general. I mean, she's been a key part of them for for the last four Olympiads. So, yeah, some some news this week that we didn't necessarily expect, although maybe we should have anticipated it. 
because um, otherwise this show was going to be entirely shoe takes with you and Alex. Which, <laughs> let's get... can't wait. So we'll we'll talk uh, on the other side of the interview. We'll do. We want to get caught up on emails. We're working yes. up that mountain. Trying. I put them all in the dock, and it's twelve pages long. There's a lot of them. <laughs> I might try to incorporate some of these into the interview, but we'll get to that uh, on the other side of the interview. Also, I mean, we should Leonard Career two hundred seven fifty six. Yeah, U.S. Big. number. F- I mean, that's number five all time. Big, smash through that two ten barrier, Jace. Two one oh. That's that's what I'm talking about. You were trying to get me excited about two ten thirties last week, and I couldn't quite do it. But two hundred seven fifty six. All right, good job, career. You got my attention. All right, joining us now to talk Kipchoge shoes, the fast times at Worlds more shoes and even more shoes just to torment jason <laughs> it's the great alex hutchinson alex thank you for coming on how are you doing thanks i'm doing well thanks for having me back on well we appreciate it i know the first time we had you on or one of the first times was after the original breaking two that you got to see in person now back going full circle here to talk about ineos 159 before we before we get into the shoes i'm just wondering as someone who was so involved and was such a first-hand witness first time what your impressions were of this second go-round with Ilyud Kipchoge running it in a different setting, a different place, um, but a faster time? Yeah, I mean, it's for me, it's a little hard to compare because I, you know, I was, I was in, I was at Monza watching it live, whereas for Vienna, I was getting up, I was home in Toronto, getting up at two in the morning <laughs> to watch it in the middle of the night uh, on the couch, and, and, and so. I would say I didn't feel quite the same magic in Vienna, even though he ran faster. But that may well be because I my eyes were like glued shut and I was trying to keep them open. So it, it was still awesome. But I, I, I guess my sense is that the real surprise, like the shock, was a couple of years ago when he ran 2 flat 25 and the world record was 2, 257 because nobody thought he was going to even come that close. Whereas this time we all knew it was possible. I still didn't think it was probable. Like I still, I still tend to think that you know, show me a marathon and I'll show you a failure about to happen. But but we knew it was possible that he could do it. We knew that it wasn't like there's some huge barrier between two flat twenty five and two flat that was going to smack him in the face. I, I felt the same way. I mean, what I guess what does it say about him or, or the conditions that it was? Just a few years ago, we were thinking this was a pipe dream, or at least a thing that would be later on in our lifetime. The fact that it's now assumed, or there's a good possibility that someone's going to run that quickly. I mean, does that does that just speak to to Kipchoge himself and just the consistency that he has in knocking these out one after the other? Yeah, I mean, I think you know we will inevitably get to this. But part of it is the shoes, right? Like, uh, and the other circumstances that have changed. But part of it is like even even given the shoes and given all the other parameters, if, for most humans, you would say if you're capable of X for a marathon, the chances that you're going to produce X on any given day are like ten percent, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or yeah. you know, I'm just making up a number, but the the fact was he still had to do something that was pretty close to you know the outer limits of his ability i'm assuming um and he had to do it on a day on on one specific day at one specific time with a lot of people watching in a context where if he had a slight off day the whole event was a complete failure you know, like you know the, and and the fact that we've come to the point where it's like 
oh, well, it's Kipchoge. When Kipchoge runs marathons, he does amazing things. Of course it's going to happen is uh, is something that i mean we we do it's not like people haven't noticed that he's consistent but it's like i I don't know if people have appreciated how how bizarre and rare this is i mean we've got the other greatest marathoners in the world you know of recent years the 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 gaber selassies and the bikilis it's like they're they're batting like a you know a minor league player they're batting like 125 or whatever of dnfs and and bad races versus good ones kipchoge's batting like 999 he only lost to a world record (laughs) yeah that that's the thing about Kipchoge. He said, you know, you could see something going wrong in any marathon, but it doesn't seem like he's capable of performing poorly. He seems to be getting stronger with each one besides the shoes, which we'll, we will get to. I mean, I kind of, last week I kind of compared Kipchoge to the chess playing computer because he seems to just soak up more information and get stronger with every race. Like I believe breaking two actually led him even more to me than the shoes was him running the, the 201 world record was just him, his body figuring out what that speed felt like. Yeah. And I think, uh, and I agree to you to some extent. And I, I also like, I think just, you know, if you want to run 201, you can't, and the world record is 202.57. You can't go out at 202.56 pace and then realize, oh, I feel really good. I'm going right. to sprint the last mile in, <laughs> in, in two minutes. You, you, you have to have made that choice very early on. And so he had the confidence. I, so I really think that that breaking to uh, as artificial as it was in many ways, uh, you know, tr- tricked Kipchoge into believing that into that he was capable of running 201. And that was, a, uh, you know, uh, a necessary condition for him to go and run 201 was to believe it. So I, I think there's a there's a lot of that. But uh, for, for me, the consistency is like I, I sort of think of the gambler's fallacy, which is like you go to the roulette table and you bet bet it all on red or you bet on red and it's black and you say okay well double or nothing i'll go red again and, and it's black again so you go double or nothing and you keep figuring well it can't be black over and over and so <laughs> i'm just going to keep doubling it until it eventually comes out red like i predict and the problem is you end up r- running out of money you know you're having to bet all the money in the universe before fate gives you the black and it's that's what i feel like with kipchoge even this time i was i, I got asked lots like what's my prediction and my prediction was he was going to fail because you always bet on the marathon is going to fail and i've been saying that for about eight marathons now <laughs> kipchoge just never fails eventually he's going to fail i don't care if it takes me since i'm not actually putting real money on it in, in like 20 years someone's going to ask me so do you think kipchoge is going to run 135 and i'll be like, no way dude and finally i'll be right but but so far he proves me wrong every time well, and the thing about him too, and I, you know, I watched breaking two when that happened and he didn't break two, but like you said, he exceeded everyone's expectations, but you know, he runs one fifty nine forty. Have you ever seen Kipchoge look tired at the end of a race? Cause I'm, I'm waiting for him to actually reach that point of exhaustion that every human I've seen run do, but I, I, he doesn't seem to have that. Cer- certainly in Berlin, when he set the world record, it was like, what the hell? He just accelerated after the finish line. Yeah, exactly. and, yeah. and it was certainly, and, and then in, you know, in Vienna, like running the last K and whatever it was, 240. And then, and then again, he looked like he was sprinting once he got across the finish line and leaping. I will say a breaking two. Uh, and, you know, that was in the context of a quote unquote failure. You know, he, 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 he looked a little uh, drained as he walked, uh, you know, th- past the finish. And then he ended up lying down on his back for a little while and then he got up and was and looked full of life but yeah I, that was one moment where it looked like that's where, where i really felt like yeah i think he squeezed everything he had on that day out of himself we got an email here from one of the one of our listeners that would like your opinion on um 
this is uh, Andrew, excuse me. This is Andrew from formerly Baltimore, now of Washington, D.C. He says, one of my biggest problems, uh, he says, I feel like Kipchoge's performance lacked context. At the breaking two, we saw what happened when not one but three elite runners had the advantage of new shoes, perfect pacing, drinks, etc. Say what you will about Tedesi's marathon ability, but DeCisa was and still is a stud. We saw both of them crumble under the fast pace while Kipchoge glided home in 20025. The context of having those two other competitors helped me believe that the performance was a large reflection of Kipchoge's insane ability and only a tiny reflection of the new performance enhancers such as shoes, pacing, and conditions. And he goes on to say, you know, if other runners were there in Vienna, could they have broken too? You know, would would someone have have provided that context that was there in 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 Monza? What do you think of that idea, Alex? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think I, I agree totally, and in the sense that, um, you know, when you start to say, "Oh, it's it's all the technology, it's all the 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 science and the the external aids," it's like, yeah, the Decisa and Tedessa didn't even come close. They didn't even make it to halfway mm-hmm. uh, at, at at pace, and and Kipchoge did. Now they they've since had a sort of checkered. I mean, Decisa has had some excellent runs, including winning the world championships, and. Mm-hmm. But but he's he hasn't you know run two oh three or anything like that, so it, it, that context and uh, you know it tells you that Kipchoge's special, which we already knew he won the Olympics. Uh, it it doesn't necessarily distinguish between is he a you know a two oh two guy or a two oh one guy or a two flat guy or a one fifty nine mm. guy, and that's that's where the you know uh, there's not a whole lot of context that could have told us that there there's maybe to me there's. There's, you know, obviously, okay. Since the the you know the resurrection of Kenanisi Bikili, uh, right, two hundred one forty one, maybe there's one other person on the planet who could have run sub two given all the the same context as Kipchoge. Although even then, Bikili, you know, maybe he's capable of it, or let's say he is capable of it, uh, or would have been capable of it. There's still like a a, a one in Twenty chance you get good Bikili showing up on that day is, is is what it seems like. I mean, I hate to to, to disparage, perhaps the greatest one of the greatest runners of all time, but um, yeah, what what Kipchoge did, both his ceiling and his ability to deliver it on the day. I mean, I'd have I, I would have hated to be the organizer and relying on Kipchoge given his recent marathon. I mean, not Kipchoge on Bikili given his recent marathon record mm-hmm. to be the one who delivers on that day. So, but yeah, I'm not sure what con uh, like. I agree, but I'm I'm not sure you learn a whole lot more by having a bunch of guys getting uh, you know eating Kipchoge's dust because that's kind of we we know that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a different place than he was in Monza, right? I mean, he's he's evolved so much more. I think. I mean, most people thought he was going to be the man in Monza, but yeah, not not he wasn't two hundred one thirty nine in in Berlin. All right, let's let's talk about the shoes because I think early on, you correct me if I'm wrong, you were not. You were not a big shoe guy. I mean, you you I think acknowledged that they were they were making technological advancements, and it was part of one of many things. But on the spectrum of no, there's no big deal to like Ross Tucker, who's like lighting them on fire on the other end. You were you were more towards the former th- than the latter. Am I right? Yeah. Although I, I guess I would I would qualify that somewhat. I would say yeah. I, I wasn't too upset about them. I I thought I, that's not to say that I didn't think they worked. Uh, and I, uh, and I, you know, I was in the process of reporting breaking too. I, I had a chance to see the university of Colorado data before it was published. So, well, uh, you know, the, the shoe debate has gone through many stages and the initial stage was it's all, it's all a big hoax, you know, Nike's mm-hmm. full of crap. They, they don't really work. 
I, I just because it, because of the nature of the reporting I was doing, I was already convinced. Well, well, many people were still saying it's all a big hoax. I, you know, I had no doubt that they worked, um, but I wasn't super upset about them. And I, I, I guess it was still hard to tell how much of the how much of the we knew four percent for running economy, but we didn't know what that translated to in actual marathon time. And right. so I was guessing, you know, let's let's say a minute, which is not that far off from from where we ended up. But I was when I was giving talks after the breaking two i was putting up my estimate was kipchoge got one minute from drafting one minute from the shoes and 30 seconds from a sort of other stuff so i i did think they worked but yeah i wasn't too worked up and i you know and, and i guess if i'd been in charge of the iaaf i probably would have just banned them right off the bat but i also knew you know that's a fantasy position i also knew that in in reality there's a lot of complicated things like oh now have you just now made the 2016 olympics illegitimate and you know there's lots of things to consider and so i was comfortable with where things were would you say your is is around a minute is where you're currently at as far as the advantage that let's say you know kipchoge major marathoners are getting uh, I, I'm I'm revising that up now, partly because the shoes are getting better. <laughs> We're no longer dealing with the 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 Vaporfly four percent. Uh, you know, we've passed through the the next percent or whatever it's called, right? Uh, which is, from what I hear, it's unofficially it's probably about five percent on average, uh, which means it's more for some people. And again, I did hear that Kipchoge was a unusually good responder to the shoes. And and then the the new his you know Kipchoge's new moon boots uh, are <laughs> you know I mean I've seen I, I don't have any inside zero inside information on Kipchoge's current prototypes but you know the numbers I've heard bounced around which could entirely be fancy are like six seven eight percent um, so you revise up one minute I, I would probably revise a little bit upward what I think the original four percent were worth but. Now we're talking about a you know something that might it, hypothetically probably not but hypothetically might be twice as good as the four percent, and then we're starting to talk like uh, you know more than significant but really significant changes. You, I'm uh, I'm not totally clear on this. The 2016 London Marathon was I believe that was pre four percent shoes, from my understanding. Uh, Kipchoge ran two oh three oh five in London, uh, set the yeah. course record and you know, set his PR by close to a minute. Uh, since then, and I, I don't I don't doubt the validity of the shoes having some effect. Uh, for me, it's less than a minute. Um, but if we're to believe that these shoes are minute, two minutes maybe even on that end, I know every marathon has its own variables that change considerably, but he ran 203.05 at the 2016 London Marathon, 204.17 at the 2018 London Marathon, if the shoes are that big of an advantage, we're led to believe Kipchoge is getting two minutes slower, three minutes slower over the course of those two years. Well, the the the, the next the twenty eighteen London Marathon where he ran two oh four was the hottest London Marathon in history. Right. Uh, so you know that's more than a that's more than a small detail. But and Kipchoge is also what like sixty years old now. So like he's. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. These are interesting questions, and and uh, the other thing is, it's okay if you say a shoe makes you four percent more efficient. If if the race you're running is put me on a treadmill and or or put me behind a laser guided car, or whatever the case may be, and have me run at a perfectly even pace with no competitive considerations, 
then you're going to see a, 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 a relatively tight correlation between efficiency and speed. Not that 4% equals 4%, but let's say 4% efficiency gives you 2% in speed. It's going to, you're going to get that full 2%. In, in real r racing contexts, yeah, there, there's the competitive element and the changes in pacing and, and, you know, the surges and the covering other moves and making a move and seeing some, if something covers it. And so it may be that getting 4% mean, more efficient means that you reach 35K with that much more in the tank, that you don't reach it faster because you're, you're responding to the competitors around you. Mm. And then you're able to, to gun it or die a little less, as the case may be. And, and so you gain 45 seconds in that marathon because very few marathons, some, but very few are, are run as just sort of, all right, let's stretch it out and, and see exactly like, let's run right on our threshold of, of possibility. Berlin in 2018 was probably as close as you get to an example of that. And that's where he really got faster. That's an interesting point. And I think for me, and I'm, I'm more, I, I started off thinking like Jason, um, but because, you know, he ran 204 with his insoles coming out of his shoe yeah. for most of the race. So I was willing to accept that this guy was a complete freak of nature and he was doing all these things um, that we'd never probably see before. But for me, it came when, okay, Bridget Cosguy is running 214 and Mozanet Garamu is running 202. Like you can't. It's, it's tougher to believe there's like these people who are just a little bit slower than Kipchoge if Kipchoge is such this otherworldly talent. But I don't like you said ban them initially. What, what, what do you ban? Do you ban the carbon fiber plate? Do you ban the foam? Do you ban the second carbon fiber plate? The third carbon fiber plate? Like how do you put this back in the, in the bottle here? Yeah. I, and that's, that's, that's one of the, tough questions that I ran aground on like when I was first thinking about this I mean because carbon fiber plates are not are, are not that uncommon they've been in you know probably half a dozen shoe companies have had carbon fiber plates before the Vaporfly even came out and even if even if then do you ban like do you ban stiffening elements like what about the shanks or anti-pronation devices it like it, it becomes a very if, if you tailor the ban too specifically to the Nike vapor fly four percent then it's not a very effective band people find a way around it and it also mm -hmm. is is commercial it's just it, it's not a good look for an international agency to be like uh, tailoring a band so the, the, uh, you guys may have seen there, there last week there was a proposal in the british journal of sports medicine that's it's been in press for a while but they decided to rush it out after all the excitement and just uh, published it uh where a couple of guys uh jeff burns and and nicholas tam uh sports scientists suggested here's the way we regulate it we say the midsole of the shoe or the stack height of the shoe can be no greater than, let's say, 31 millimeters, which happens to be what the initial 4% testing, uh, the, the initial prototypes, the 4% that were where data was published, they were announced as having a 31 millimeter uh, mm -hmm. stack height. Now, r reports are that the current next plus or next percent that, that are out there that are they're more like 36, 37%, and, the, and Kipchoge's shoe may be closer to 40 millimeters. So it's... It's not necessarily that it would make all shoes legal, but it's it's saying we're gonna ex we're not gonna try and regulate carbon fiber plates. We're not gonna try and regulate exactly what's in there, but we're just gonna put a, a ceiling on it. We're gonna say, look, guys, this far and no further. We want the shoes to still look like shoes and not like moon boots. Um, and that kind of so when that came out, and they wrote that before the latest prototype came out, but it it it, it clicked with me because. 
I, I have to admit, when I saw like the the what what Kipchoge was wearing in Berlin with with these two pods underfoot that that really do look like the sort of springs that we're that at least I've been claiming that the Vaporfly is not all this time, <laughs> um, and 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 you know the super high stack height. It's just like it's not so much that that shoe in itself is you know the the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's just that it's like it's changing every year. It's like just okay. The shoes are better. It's going to cause a blip in marathon times. It's going to cause a shift. Everyone gets a couple minutes faster or a minute faster, or whatever you want to conclude mm-hmm. it is. Uh, but it's happening every year. So then we can't even normalize to like what what is this compared to last year? Compared to the year before? Compared to what other people? You know, oh, Koske was wearing the next percent. Kipchoge was wearing the the so- so-called Alpha Fly, if that's what it's really going to be called. Mm-hmm. So. In that sense, I, I think that solution of just like let's just regulate the stack height. We're not you don't ban the shoe, but we're just going to say it has to stay within this kind of envelope. Uh, you can do what you want within that envelope, and there'll probably still be some further refinements within that envelope. But we're not going to just let it keep getting thicker and thicker every year. Mm-hmm. So, Jason, that's the take of someone described as a Cambridge-trained physicist. Now, I want your rebuttal <laughs> as a as a UNLV-trained. Sportsbook manager, go. <laughs> shoes or shoes? No, um, <laughs> no. I mean, like I said, I I actually would be. Uh, that sounds like a great idea to regulate the height, and then you, you know, I'm sure they'll start try to come up with things that will fit within that height. But at least you have some some regulation there. I I, I read your article on the you know uh, kind of the, the turn of the shoes after the Ineos. I do wonder, I don't think this was as specifically addressed in there. Um, you addressed, you know, drafting, obviously the shoes and, and different variables, but not really just having people to run with and run right ahead of you for the final parts of a race where basically in every world record in a- any event, people don't have because you're running the fastest time of all time. So how much credence do you give to like something like that where you actually have people pushing you through those final you know through the final 8k or through the you know even if it's a 1500 through the final 200 stuff like that i i feel like is even a bigger push than anything else in my mind yeah i think i think it's a factor and i mean i, I always like to you know when people get to to, to sort of uppity about this stuff that you know roger bannister who's who's now the paragon of like and, and I, he's a hero of mine and 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 the like back in the day, he never did all this stuff. Well, in 1953, the year before he broke the four minute mile, he had did a race where one of his his teammates or training partners uh, jogged the first 800 so that he could be lapped and then ran the last lap of the race with Bannister and Bannister ran 402, which would have been a British record, but it was disallowed because it, it was considered illegal pacing. And so having that someone to run at the end of the race where it was was considered, you know, a bridge too far. Whereas the next year he did have pacers, which were still controversial at the time, but they only lasted 1,300 meters, say. And so, yeah, that last part of the race, aerodynamics aside, I, I really think there's something important about the cognitive, the, the cognitive uh, aspect or the load of, of setting your own pace and deciding, is this the right pace? Am I running fast enough? Is, is this the right split? Do I need to speed up? Do I need to slow down? <laughs> To take that off, so first of all, if you've got pacers doing it for you, that that's great. It's almost even more powerful, and I don't know how you compare if you have a car in front of you that's that's driving at the right pace and shining a laser on the road. So how does that compare if you just had the car versus if you just had the pacer versus mm. having both? Um, I suspect both is 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 the best of all possible worlds. But uh, I, I do think that stuff matters. It's 
it's that's a lot harder to quantify because you could do a study on that oh, for sure in theory and what you and, and the problem is you'd get some average result but i'm sure there are some people and i know this like and, and yeah, i'm sure everyone listening has experienced this some people are, are good at running on their own some people are terrible and i'm, I'm one mm-hmm. of those people you know i'll do I do a temple run every Saturday morning with a bunch of friends. Uh, we, we call it a temple run. It's really a race, but we, we pretend it's, a, <laughs> pretend it's a, a temple effort. And every once in a while, if I'm traveling I, or, or busy or whatever, I have to do it on my own. And it's like unbelievable how much slower I am uh, on my own. Right. And, and, you know, if, if, if there was a million bucks, maybe I'd be able to go faster on my own. But, but it's like I'm trying to run based on a given perception of effort, and the perception of effort is totally different, and it has nothing to do with aerodynamics. It has everything to do. But, it, but I guess, oh yeah, I'm trying to remember what my point, point was, which was that I don't know what Kipchoge's psychology is and how much it different. It's hard. It's hard to say it's it's worth this much because for some people it's worth far more than others. No, oh, I, I yeah I agree. I don't think it is something you can quantify. It just seems like basically every world record that's ever been set would have been better with someone right in front of them, but then it wouldn't have been a world record. So it's kind of irrelevant. Um, Except in the women's uh, category. That, that's that, true. That's, right. And, and that's, a, that's a whole complicated uh, kettle of fish, obviously. And I, yeah, I think that was a, again, I, like I said, I'm not discounting the shoes entirely by any means, but I do think even with the women's record that was just set, having male pacers for the entire thing and not even having to run that last 10k alone is is such a huge advantage but in general with these with these breaking twos the i know you, none of us were around when banister tried that that trick do, do, are you interested in these as far as like the how far can humans push their body or i mean in in your head when this 159 was coming up did you want kipchoge to run this or would you have preferred he just runs another regular marathon so when he announced this ineos thing my reaction was, oh, come on. I wish he was running a regular thing. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a middle ground that actually might have been even my my stronger preference, which would have been, I wish he was doing an exhibition race where everything was optimized uh, you know, as much as possible within IAAF rules. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you might say that's that's the Alberto Salazar approach, right? Like, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, let's do it in a way that feels slimy, but, but is actually legal. Um, you know, so do it at Monza again. But or find a place where you can go round and round a perfectly smooth, flat place. But also find like they, you know, in in Vienna they had this first 500 meters that dropped 13 meters, so a slight downhill. And the calculations on that were that it it saved about that that little downhill thing saved 10 seconds. Now to be IWF legal, you have to have you can have up to 42 meters of descent in a in a marathon because it's one in a thousand. Mm-hmm. And so they they only did a third as much of the downhill as they were allowed to. So there's another 20 seconds available there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or and I, I you know if, if we're starting to get imaginative, I, I'm like have it have them have them running through a quiet forest for the first 30k, and then have some crowd support from 30 to 35 k, and then have 10,000 you know Wellesley College seniors screaming at him for the last 7k, you know like optimize all these things within the rules and see what he can run so that we can have some basis of comparison. So that would have been my preference, but uh, you know I could also appreciate that if you're Elliot Kipchoge, you're like dude, I've I've run 201, I've I've put the the official world record out of reach. If I break another world record, that's maybe that's not going to put me in the history books. I want to do something that's actually different from what I've done before, and that means running a marathon distance in a time that starts with one. So I appreciate it, but yeah, I would have I would have preferred either just head to Berlin again, although we've seen that show before, or set up a, a legal, a, a, you know, quote unquote legal event. Alex, 
this might be a dumb question, but in 2016 or whenever they debuted the the shoes, I mean, why didn't someone from Adidas cut open the bottom immediately and then just copy it? Yeah, well, um, a couple things on that. First, they disguised them. You know, they, they, they it was there was a lot of cloak and dagger. They were, as as I recall correctly, they were they were stitched together with Zoom Six uppers. Uh, so that they just look <laughs> wow. like, and, and nobody knew to look for that. Cause I mean, it's, it's the future it. Jason wants, by the way, this right. is exactly <laughs> what Jason wants to live in my, you know, it's, it's worth remembering that until two years ago, we were all totally numb to the fact that every year, every shoe company would launch their new models with all these claims about how amazing they were sure. and how they were going to change running. And we, we just totally blank them out because we knew they were not it was never true so nobody nobody really worried about that stuff so nobody was looking at it um now i, I mean I just just as a as a history point it's worth saying that adidas didn't need to cut open the shoe to to to, to copy the, car, the carbon fiber plate they invented the carbon fiber plate they it was an adidas funded scientist at the university of calgary who developed the, the plate back in the in the late nine, 1990s mm. early 2000s adidas put it in their shoes it was called the pro plate uh, Haley Gabriel Selassie set his first marathon world record with a carbon fiber plate in his shoe. Whoa! Um, hmm. They had they had peer reviewed data uh, published in the that showed a, a, an improvement in running economy of about one percent, just like they had peer reviewed data of their boost foam showing one to two percent, depending on which version of the foam improvement in running economy. So you add those together, and you've got three percent right there. But they discontinued the the pro plate in at around two thousand eight ish. Um, and you know, when I talked to the guy at the University of Calgary, a guy named Darren Stefanician, it's like, why did they discontinue it? It was so good. And and he's like, yeah, apparently it, it. And this is, you know, this is his. He's not on the inside of their marketing decisions, but he's like, yeah, from what he understood, it cost an extra two dollars and fifty cents uh, to put that in the shoe. So it was it was cutting into their profit margin <laughs> on the shoe. It's like, are you kidding me? And so anyway, this guy Darren Stefanician, one of his PhD, one of his Darren, one of his PhD students was Gang Luo who then went to Nike and was the lead designer of the Vaporfly. So, so Adidas didn't need to... They, they, oh, wow. They, they knew about the carbon fiber plate, carbon fiber plate with a slight curve in the, in the forefoot. Now, Nike made some changes. They, they, they've had a, a, a slightly uh, you know, more pronounced curve in the front, and they had this new foam that instead of the... They had a more advanced uh, cushioning foam, but the, the plate was there. The plate had been used in shoes before, and that's one of the reasons I had trouble with this sort of why should we ban this? I'm like, well, we they've been using that plate before, and a lot of the people calling for the ban, you know, some of them affiliated with Adidas had right. no objection to the, the the plate when it was there. It's now it's just that Nike did it a little bit better, and they did this huge publicity campaign that ended up being very successful for them, and so all of a sudden people wanted to ban it. And it just felt, even though I felt intuitively that I would have liked to ban it, I also felt that it's a little bit kind of cheap to ban something that other people have used just because now that some, now it's working better. I'm, we're all of the similar age, so we remember when Nike Air in basketball shoes and the implicit marketing ploy, and same with the Reebok pumps, right, was that it could make yeah. you jump higher, right? That was the idea. I can get these shoes and... Older people are more skeptical, but when we were in our teenage years or before we were teenagers, we legitimately thought certain basketball shoes could make you jump higher. So I kind of think this is funny as people like us are all quibbling over the rules. Nike's probably just like, sure, have an argument about whether or not our shoes literally make you faster and we'll sell a billion pairs because the average person trying to qualify for Boston 
wants a shoe that makes them faster. This is like their dream. This is the idea. This is the core of what Nike is trying to do is sell more products. And now you have a product that's actually delivering what it says it's going to do. Yeah. And I I mean, I think in one of the New York, the New York times article that came out around when the shoe was announced back in 2017, they quoted uh, Brett Schoolmeister, I think it was, who's one of the senior Nike guys involved in the shoe. And they asked him, like, you know, what do you say to the people who think this should be banned? And and you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but his answer was along the lines of, we are so flattered that people think it should be banned. We think that's great. You know, we think right. it means we actually succeeded in doing what we've we've been trying to do. And, and in, you know, in all on, I, you know, not to not to go through all the debates of two years ago, but, um, you know, credit to them to for uh, publishing in a timely way data that showed that the claims they were making were actually true and publishing it in a peer-reviewed journal, external, and for, they, you know, they put their money where their mouth is, was for, mm. for breaking too. That was a, a bold and audacious thing to try that could have easily ended in complete disaster if Kipchoge wasn't Kipchoge. And they, you know, they didn't just, they, they had the shoe that they thought was so good. They didn't just say, Introducing the you know the Vaporfly four percent, it's so good. Elliot Kipchoge won the Olympics in it last year, and mm-hmm. and that would have been the usual way of doing it. They're like, no, we're gonna we're gonna try and break it to our marathon. So they they uh, yeah, it, all the shoe companies have have. If we believed ten percent of what shoe companies have told us over the last twenty years, we would have banned every shoe that has ever been released. Right. It's just that it turns out this time that it's true. Right. I, I want to read you this email from uh, one of our listeners, not Brother Colin. Uh, I don't think that's his given name, but uh, it's, it says, Now that Kipchoge has broken two, I propose a new challenge. Failing to break three. Can someone design a course in conditions so tough that even Elliot Kipchoge can't run under three hours for a marathon? The course can be up a mountain the whole way. He can run in Brooks Beasts, and they can put a giant fan on a pace cart that blows on his face. Uh, or they can find a formation for the Pacers that somehow increases the headwind. That would probably be more <laughs> in the spirit of breaking two. So, what would it take for a Kipchoge to not break three? Because I feel like he'd end up running like two ten, even with all these scenarios. <laughs> yeah, that could be the new the new frontier of how do we actually slow Kipchoge down? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm thinking there's there's a marathon in Nepal in the Ooh. in the himalayas somewhere but then i'm like because that's at altitude and i'm like oh dude that's probably like the altitude that he grew up at right <laughs> um, so so that's not going to slow him down that much um yeah maybe the yeah the, the the mount everest marathon i think goes from base camp to like Kathmandu or something like that or or to wow. somewhere near that but we need the, the one that goes from base camp to the top of mount everest what if i don't like kipchoge there's a lot of things i want him to do right i want him just to smash the half marathon world record i want him to run an ultra marathon and just give some a reality check to the super ultra fans out there that there, but before the grace of God go <laughs> them. Um, but what, if, I mean, he's not going to do this, but what if he ran another marathon in regular shoes and not like regular, regular shoes and not running in, in wingtips or anything like that. But what, I mean, what if he wore like, what do you think the outcome would be? Do, do you think that we'd actually see that? I mean, I don't know. Like part of me thinks that would just motivate him even more. And, and we'd get a new Kipchoge that would be unlocked. That, you know what? I, I've never thought about that, but that would be pretty awesome. That would be such a if he if he got just took out the old Zoom Streak sixes the, or whatever mm-hmm. the the current whatever the racing flat is, and just went to town in London. Uh, the only the like the, the only reason I, d- I wouldn't want to see that is that again the, you know as a man approaching his social security years, it, the, the 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 risk is that. <laughs> 
he runs slow and then everyone says see i told you he's only a 206 guy and the thing is we know he's super special we we know like it's not like he's the only guy who's got the the vapor flies uh but it's it certainly would be interesting but i I guess the problem is it would be an implicit acknowledgement that that even he understands that the that the shoes are that there's something off about the shoes he's wearing and and that's that's a hard thing to to admit but it, it would be a it would be a huge uh you know screw you to everyone if he went out and ran 202 or something in, in the zoom streets yeah um he's, i want to younger than both of me and kevin by the way so you keep calling him a senior <laughs> citizen it's, it's really brutal yeah he's he's looked 35 for about the last 20 years Only since he started running. exactly yeah yeah no i, I mean at the age thing I, I don't and i'm i i should be careful about making jokes about it he it's just I, I, I've heard people who've I think Ed Caesar, who's who reported a lot on on the sub two thing. He's been you know chatted with Kipchoge's mother and some of his school friends, and it's just there. There seems to be a lot of hearsay that that he's you know mm. four, five, six years older than 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 what uh, we think he is. But that you know like he's been so good he, for so long. It's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So I want to get your I want to get uh, I want to talk about this article really quick before we let you go. Um, it was in Outside Magazine. The, the headline is The New Culture of Hammering Races Right from the Start. And you dive into the data from Doha. First of all, I'm all in on the title because Jason and I, we're not really big fans of tactical races, as most people aren't. I mean, they have their place, right? Um, I was in Doha for this th- this meet. I got a chance to see it. Um, to me, I thought a lot of it was just the air-conditioned sort of climate-controlled settings had a lot to do with it. But even then, I still doubted it because before when we were previewing the men's 1500 jason said timothy chariot should run this 1500 the way he's run every diamond league and go from the front and i was an idiot and said yeah but he's not going to do that because nobody runs tactical or nobody runs championship 1500 meters like that uh how shocked were you just as a running fan that the 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 times were as fast as they were and the winners were running as aggressively as they were yeah, I, I think I followed a similar uh, trajectory to you. At first, I just thought, yeah, everyone talked about the heat, but they've got the air conditioning, that, and it's, so it's almost effectively like an indoor 400-meter track right. for conditions. Uh, and, and there's been a few like people deciding to just go for it. And I think the the one that ended up blowing my mind was 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 Tim Chariot, because if anything, I thought the men's 1500 would be the last bastion of tactical cat and mouse <laughs> races yeah. it's you know it's it's where you know central it's winning in 350 at the olympics now i will say I, I will just just for the record i will say i love a good tactical middle distance race it's like you know full contact six-dimensional chess mm-hmm. uh it's it, you know the, the tension of like who's gonna go and when and where and who's gonna cover it and who's in position it's great but I will also acknowledge it's pretty awesome to see a sub 330 race in a championship and it's a different kind of tension. And I guess I would like to see not the same race every championship. Sometimes I'd like to see a tactical battle. Sometimes I'd like to see a, a run from the front. But what was interesting, yeah, it was no specific race was like, well, okay, I was going to say no specific race surprised me, but actually all of them surprised me. <laughs> you, you, you expect to see some some races that are really, really fast. Uh, and and you know uh, the the women's fifteen hundred was mind blowing. Obviously, uh, uh, you know Donovan Donovan Brazier and the men's eight hundred was was amazing. But you expect to see a couple of those. But one is like that's like the sixth race out of the whatever eight or ten middle distance races where someone has just blown the doors off early in the race. That's when I was like, something's different here. This is and this is there's like there's a change in culture or something. 
And and I was then I was that that made me curious to go back and say, okay, well, is this just perception? Is this all to do with Mo Farah leaving the track, or or what's the deal mm-hmm. here? Yeah, do you think it has more to do with like maybe the perfect set of runners, like a, a Chariot, Hassan, some of these runners who are just clearly the best in the field? Where it's like, hey, if I run this way, I'm my chances of winning are are great. Where it's not maybe as much of a toss up, or do you think there's a chance of some sort of pattern, like that that this could ha- keep happening? Well, I th- I think that I, I do think there's a bit of a cultural change. I d- I, d- I do think that none of these races happened in a vacuum and that, you know, probably chariot saw what Hassan did or, or, you know, I can't even remember the order of the races. Uh, It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it's not like, Oh, I never thought of that. I'm going to go do that. But it's like, it gives you more confidence because you also, you often see sometimes or not often, but it's not, it hasn't been unusual to see someone take off and run a first, you know, a fast first lap or a fast first K. And then you get partway through the race and you, you look around and it's like, Oh wait, the whole field is still with me. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've shaken nobody, and I'm really tired. Screw this! I'm gonna just let it slow down. And, and you know, in the attempts to beat Mo Farah, you, you often saw these sort of uh, aborted attempts to make it into an honest race, where uh, you know a couple guys would try and push it out. It would make no difference, and then they it would sort of settle into a quick but not crazy pace, which which Farah could handle. So, so I think, you know, having that confidence that, oh no, no, it has worked for people. You don't always lose if you lead a middle distance race or a distance race, uh, probably helped create that, that feeling. But you, you, there's also, as you say, there's definitely some sort of individual factors like, uh, chariot having been unbeatable in fast races and, and unbeatable only in championship races, uh, that probably made him a very good candidate to be like, okay, well, I've tried it the other way, and it's the only time I've lost in recent years, so I might as well try it, uh, you know, the fast-from-the-gun approach. Well, and having the opportunity to chat with a couple of people post-race, like, that had a like, psychological impact on them. Like, they knew they were racing for second, and these are very competitive, proud professional athletes, so to be like, yeah, he went out in 54, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to, like, touch him. Like there was good, like they planned on that second pack being a race for silver. They had already thought that out. Now I don't know women's wise if they thought the same thing about Sif and Hassan. That was more strung out with everybody getting a a PR party. But it's just cool to see someone going their hardest at the moment they should be their fittest. And when the tactical races come into play for the fifteen hundred, especially it. You know, it's like, well, this is when you should be at your best, and we're not like seeing your best output, or even the five or the or the ten, right? Um, so I thought that was cool, and it made me wonder how much faster some of these all-time, not necessarily the world record, would be. Obviously, those are some of those are untouchable, but like the top twenty or top fifty list, if this pattern had been in place for for prior years, how many more fast times we would have seen? Because these are the these are the athletes at their sharpest. Um, with the best competition theoretically that should yield the, the fastest times right yeah i mean you look at that women's 1500 race which rewrote a bunch of national records and rewrote uh the all you know the all-time list and it's like i i mean it was a good field but you know so uh, as a canadian i'm i'm a big fan of gabriella uh, mm-hmm. debut stafford mm-hmm. and she ran whatever it was 356 i 
if she ran, you know, as great as she's been, if she ran 356, there have been other people who could have run faster. You know, in if I, I look back at Canada has had people coming fifth and sixth that the, in the women's 1500, mm-hmm. and those races have always been like 402 races, 401 races, and so they ran 403 in what might have been the greatest rest race of their life, and so yeah, I think I think, um, let's say two years from now, or actually I guess one year from now in Tokyo, let's say Tokyo is not a billion degrees. And Tim Chariot takes from the <laughs> the uh, the gun. Maybe the other runners will be a little more ready for it. You know, I mean, he mm-hmm. he got the advantage of uh, you know, surprise fifty four. Yeah, um, and, and and you know maybe and so no one really unlike in the women's race, no one gave him an, a, 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 a you know a full fledged chase. And maybe if uh, the the field is more ready for it, it's going to lead to to some some of these races where it's like you look down the results and it's like you know PB NR AR NR yeah. PR. It's like it's pretty it's pretty cool. So yeah, even as again, I'm a uh, unabashed fan of tactical races, but this was a really fun championship to to watch with people just throwing down and and defying my expectations that if you lead, you're going to get screwed. It was kind of the death, at least momentarily, of overthinking, right? Like. I'm the best person in the field. I've been the best person in the field all year. Why am I going to try to make this more complicated than it needed to be? Like Hassan. It's, it was Rudisha. Like, yeah, like vintage Rudisha. Yeah. Well, we we see in the 800, they don't really overthink the 800 that much. But for some reason, when it comes to the 1500, like Hassan split a 359 in her 10K. So she probably did some math and thought, how many people in this 1500 field have a PR that good? What am I? Why don't I just run hard and no one will... It was just weird. It's weird that it was so. It was weird that it seemed so weird. I guess watching it, I kept waiting for them to revert back to tactics, and they and they never did. And um, it was just, yeah, it was so bizarre to see, but so kind of cool at the same time. Yeah, and I mean, even with Hassan, it's like you know, Laura Muir has run three fifty five, so it's not like Hassan could say, "Oh yeah, if I go out and run three fifty seven, no one could touch me," because there were people who. As it turned out, we're ready to run 354, you know, or, or, and so, so it was, it was even bolder, you know, it's, it's not like, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I guess the races get more complicated when you have two arch rivals or even three or whatever. Uh, And, uh, you know, you think back to that 2003 race, the famous one where um, Kipchoge won and at the world championships in the 5,000 and El Garouge was second and Bikili was third. I mean, Bikili is one of the greats and he took it out hard because he knew that El Garouge had an amazing kick. And sure enough, he got walked down by two, two guys as a result. So, you know, I'm, I still, if, if I were like, if there were two evenly matched runners, you know, it would still surprise me to see one of them just decide to take it unless that runner knows that, he or she isn't the greatest kicker, and that maximizes her chances. But it's yeah, it's it's tricky. But it'll be really interesting to see how Tokyo plays out, and whether we see a continuation of this sort of super aggressive. Uh, here's what I've got. If you can beat me, you show me. Yeah, I guess it maybe depends on that AC if they get that AC pumping. It's funny you mentioned O three because I remember O four very clearly, and they went out, they dawdled a bit, and I remember at the time. I wasn't very experienced in watching track, and I thought, why is Bekele letting the mile world record holder off the hook here? Why is he letting him hang around? So maybe he overlearned the lesson from from 03, because then Garouge just you know blew by him in the last stretch, and it just seemed like 
that was sort of a duh result, right? Like, of course, the guy with a better mile PR in this situation is going to be able to do it. Yeah, and, and it, you know, in a sense, he may have been kind of boxed in, it, it, not literally, uh, but but psychologically or tactically, because he had tried to run El Garouge off his feet uh, one way, and then he tried to you know yeah. do the kick, and so maybe the the the, the real lesson there is El Garouge was was better in in a tactical context uh, in a championship race, and so did that, and that's also an, I, I think I can't remember if I said this in the in the article I wrote, but basically. Uh, there's there are some analyses uh, I've done before of like well what happens when it goes tactical do you get a complete reversal of uh, who's going to win and, mm-hmm. and the the bottom line is actually usually the fastest runners win no matter how the race plays out so there, I did it I can't remember maybe it was after the 2016 Olympics where everyone was like they, they turned that into an 800 meter race I was like okay let's take the finishing order and let's run stats and see if 800 meter PR or 1500 meter PR was a better predictor of finishing order. In other words, in this very slow 350 race, was mm-hmm. it w- was it the 800 meters runners who did best? And the answer was no. It was still 1500 meters uh, PR that predicted the f- best predicted the finishing order of, of the race. So, um, so I, I, I'm not always convinced that it's like oh, when 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 a race goes a, a particular way and then one person loses and one person wins, it's like oh, you're you're an idiot. It would have been totally different if you'd done it a different way. Uh, often the fast, the, the, whoever's fittest is going to win on that day with exceptions mm. when there's like huge tactical differences or, or relative strength differences between different runners. Yeah. I'm just wondering, I don't know, like from the American perspective, you know, Jenny Simpson in 2011, does she win the gold if they go hard from the gun? Well, probably, I mean, she barely even got into the meat that year or Centro in, in 16. I guess the examples are so famous. So we assign more weight to them, but yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you're right. I, I, but I, again, and it gets like, so Tim Chariot just sort of disproved what I would have answered to that, which is that Centro wouldn't have won in a 329 race in 2016. Right. He's, he's never run 329. But what I would have said is, but no one's going to run 329 in a championship with a race without a rabbit. It's never been done. No one yeah. has ever <laughs> run sub 330 in an unrabbited race. El Garouge had some fast times in, in 99 and 2000, but he had a rabbit sacrificing him, uh, you know, a teammate who managed to be top 12 in the world and then sacrifice his race. So, you know, don't be ridiculous. No one's going to run sub 330 in an unrabbited race. And so the fact that Chariot did this is not just uh, sort of like, that's really surprising or what an interesting tactic. It's like, whoa, he just did something that nobody has ever done before. As far as I know, you know, I, I haven't exhaustively searched the annals of, of sub 330s, but I don't think anyone, anyone's ever done it without pacers. Yeah, no, that, that sounds right. Um, well, thank you so much for your time, Alex. Very generous. Uh, you survived the intellectual gauntlet that was this podcast. Uh, <laughs> probably one of you. He's probably bigger, wearing special shoes. That's how he did it. <laughs> one of your one of your bigger uh, career achievements. Uh, we didn't mention your book at the front. We should mention your book, Endure, Mind, Body, and the Completely Elastic, or the Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Performance. I've read it. It's good. Uh, people should check it out if they haven't read it yet. Is it in? You can get it everywhere, right? You can point. get it everywhere, yeah. Amazon, local bookstores, all that good stuff. Cool cool story in there about your own running, which made me think I never should have tried to pace myself during races. So a lot of regret for me when I read the book. Uh, I don't want to oh, give me away too. the story. The, the, the whole book was about regret. It's like, if I knew then what I would do now, I would have been at least 0.5% faster than I was. 
Yeah. So if you're into self-loathing, maybe don't read it, but everybody else <laughs> definitely uh, do read it. Also, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to, to Alex's column that we've been talking about uh, with the fast times in Doha. But thank you so much for uh, taking the time and, and chatting with us. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun to get deep into the nitty gritty. So I, I had a lot of fun. All right. Thanks again to our guest, Alex Hutchinson, longtime rival of Jason on this show. <laughs> hit, hit, hit you with that heat question there, Jason, or that heat retort about London being so hot. Um, but I think you rallied. I don't know, man. I mean, all those other London and Berlin races too. It's just like, uh, to me, and it was a great conversation. I really appreciate Alex and he's super Mm -hmm. smart. Like I said, um, that that I I think for me is if you believe the shoes are minute, two minute, three minute, then you believe Eli Kipchoge has gotten significantly slower over the past six years. Which, which could be true. It could be possible. It could be Um, true. And also, a big difference was, in but, one minute and three minutes there. You, you, you threw all those minutes well, cause together. Well, because he was saying with the, you know, he was one minute under the old ones, but then these new ones might be double that. So right, he, he was right, even right. saying over two minutes. Um, you know, if that's the case, then I guess you believe Prime Kipchoge was a 201 guy? That, Maybe. Because Prime Are Kipchoge you... was five years ago? I, so it's... It, it, it's impossible to know. And I, I still believe getting pushed late in the race by runners around you is a bigger factor, and that once you kind of have that feeling of what those what those paces are, it's easier to replicate. And the first yeah. person through the line and other people will give it a shot. Like, I think we'll see with the women's world record. Um, but I'm not discounting entirely. But I, I just, I, I can't, in my head, and I, like I said, I could be 100% wrong. In my head, I can't, like, anything over a minute just seems completely absurd to me for the shoes. But Did he move you a little bit, though? Did he move you? He made reasonable arguments. No, he Did made he great you? arguments. Yeah, and it just, it's... To me, I just I look at Elliot Kipchoge's results, right? Like I'm just looking at these, and I'm like, okay, he ran 204, basically 204 flat with insoles flying out of his shoes. He ran 203.05 without the super advanced shoes. So maybe that was Kipchoge at his absolute best was 203.05 at 2016 in London. Um, 2017 Berlin he runs 203.30. You know, 2018 Berlin he's that's what he sets the world record. But 2019 London 202.37. So he got 30 seconds faster from. 2016 to 2019 but if you think the shoes are two minutes then he's gotten much much slower um would you support the the ban on the height i I like that actually i think that's because even though i'm not sure i i don't necessarily believe they're that much i think that's something that could satisfy a lot of people and it can kind of at least is a cutoff because right now we don't know what the cutoff is because kipchoge shoes for 159 were you know like you said, moon boots, you know, they, they keep getting bigger. So whether yeah. how effective they are or not, you know, like I said, I believe they're somewhat effective, but even if they're getting five seconds better here, 10 seconds better there, um, at a certain point, there should be some sort of cutoff just because, you know, even if they're not doing as, as much as some people think. Um, so yeah, I, I'm actually all, I think that's a great solution because other than something kind of concrete, like the height, I don't know how you regulate it. Do you know what I height? Do you know what I think the height should be? What's that? The height should be the exact height to where we never have to talk about this again. Perfect. Let's find that exact <laughs> height. Because I hate shoe takes more than you. I don't know if that's come through through the podcast. I mean, this is fascinating, and it's what people are talking about. So I'll talk about it. It's interesting, but moving forward, I don't want to have this thing go on forever. Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting thing to debate, but let's get something concrete. Not everybody's going to agree on it, but let's get something in place. I saw today that they were talking about the mechanic. Like, as long as there's nothing mechanical, 
it's fine to which people are like, eh, well, eh, maybe they should be a little more strict about it. But yeah, maybe the height. Cause it's like, okay, you have whatever amount of centimeters innovate all you want within that right. distance. And then you, then you're, yeah, you're, you're relatively limited at that point. I mean, I thought, um, one of the, the best ideas I heard in that, that whole thing was, was you saying Kipchoge should just run in the, you know, four year old pair of flats. And I, I would bet on him running two Oh two and it would th- make me happy. Yeah. Well, because he meets every bar that you, you put out there for him. Um, no, I think it's, once I saw these latest ones, that's when I was like, because I was like him. I saw that picture. Yeah, and him, like, they look next to them. insane. Yeah, and he's like literally dunking a basketball. I was like, all right, let's. What, we might need to take a closer look at this. Um, all right, I know we promised emails like for the ninth week in a row. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do like two, and then we're gonna save them for next week. Yeah, we talked uh, maybe probably a little longer than we thought, but it was. I think that was a it was it was a great conversation. So I we kind of both wanted to keep that going, even though we love our emailers. And I'm sorry. Uh, here's Brian, the emailer for me from Raleigh, now from Pennsylvania. Drink talks about idios, says, uh, and the shoes. He says, I'm not totally sold on the shoe hype. Chicago sway me towards believing the hype a little more. He says, almost everyone's favorite time of year, IWF Athlete of the Year. The earliest were released last week. How do you pick between Dalila Muhammad, Bridget Koskai, and Sif and Hassan? J.K. Hassan is the goat. <laughs> Do you have a pick there for athlete of the year? Oof, man, I mean, Hassan is is way up there. Muhammad, the, you know, I go with Hassan actually only because and Muhammad, hey, she set the world record twice. Um, twice. She she won the world cha- championships, but she also lost at some point, twice. right? Twice. Yes. Um, to yes. to <laughs> Sydney, but she won the most important race of the year and like I said, put up the two best times of all time. Um, for me, it's Muhammad or Hassan. Koskai obviously setting the world record. That's massive, and I think. Most other years, she'd have a, a really good argument. I think I'm going Hassan for the double, but man, I mean, if you pick if you pick Muhammad, I'm not gonna not gonna judge you. Man, you going Warholm, Kipchoge, Lyles? <sighs> for me, it's it's Warholm or Kipchoge. Um, That's mine too. Lyles, I, I think Lyles needed a big world championship time for me to yep. f- fully fall in that. I mean, he had a he had a phenomenal year and he was great, but. Uh, underwhelming for world championships won the gold which is all that matters really but you know i i was i was hoping for a 19-3 um so i think it's definitely between the other two guys um i'm gonna go warholm i think you gotta go kipchoge uh, I, well, just... I will never argue with kipchoge getting it but well you just did so <laughs> i'm just he ran one regular race one Ineos 159 challenge. He broke two hours in the marathon. That's pretty freaking awesome. Uh, Warholm had a you know pretty ridiculous competition, um, but that's it's not fair to Kipchoge it's to not say there's no competition. It's just he's too good to have competition. So I guess that's not really fair. Uh, Paul, formerly of Argyle, Texas, now of Denton, Texas, wanted to drink our thoughts on this, and he says, "Oh, for the men, he says Kipchoge, or it's rigged. For the women, it's more complicated." There's five of them that could easily win the award, but he's a sucker for some might say easy doubles, and he picks Hassan. I, my new standard is like whose season would we remember in ten years? Mm, that's the right way to do it, and that's completely arbitrary. I just made that up right now, but no, but it's when you look back, it's like the easiest thing to go like, hey, oh yeah, 2019 was the year Kipchoge broke too, and I'm absolutely changing my answer to Kipchoge from Warhol. <laughs> uh Okay, so we st- do Trevor wrote us an email before Worlds with this awesome 4x4 breakdown, which we'll get to. Uh, we got Tom 
from the UK who has a Usain Bolt story. He met him in person. Oh wow! Yeah, and I just don't. I mean, you got to pick up. You got to pick up. Still pick up kids, right? I and mean, that's. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I legitimately have to go pick up kids. There's Dan from Chicago. We got two from Marshall. We got one from Lolo about ketones and the drink. We got Brandon with two A's. Uh, yeah, like I said, we got two from Marshall. The plan was to knock them all out, but then we got an awesome guest, and we got Shalane retiring. Uh, Caleb from Nampa, Idaho. Yes, there's listeners in Idaho. With track season officially over in an email, probably finding you after Nuttycomb prenats. How do you think the podium teams will be on the men's and women's side, as well as five or so men and women who could be in contention for the individual win teams or individuals? This is all uh, you, Kevin. Yeah, I'm on it. I'm on. I'm gonna nail this. This is I. This is what I do for a living. Uh, I mean, for NAU men, Arkansas women, mm. the next women's team. You got, you got BYU. You got Washington there. You got Colorado in the mix. You have Michigan. You have NC State. Who am I forgetting? I'm probably forgetting somebody. Let me look at the rankings we have on the site here. Um, yeah, Edwin Kerr got individual favorite for the men. Women, Monson just beat Kaladi, so I'd take her. Sleeper by Erica Burke, although she's not much of a sleeper now. She's pretty dang good. Um, oh, I forgot Stanford. Stanford women. NAU, or New Mexico women as well. Oh, they don't look as good. Men's, yeah, it should be NAU. Then a good pack there. Stanford, BYU, and Colorado, I think, will get the other podium spots. Yeah, Monson. Monson, Kerr got NAU men, Arkansas women. There you go. Those are, your, those are the picks. Uh, sleeper for men, uh, Klecker. I like Joe Klecker. I was going to say Klecker. Yeah. <laughs> Same pick. Uh, where am I at? Oh, I lost my emails. All right, that's it. I legitimately got to go. Yeah. Oh, hold on. One more thing. Majestic Matt wrote the lyrics to the song that I couldn't hear last week. Lord Co. here just wanted to put the record straight, pushing back hard on all that hate, presented again by unanimous vote, but this simply isn't the time to gloat. I ushered in the clean athletics era, but peel back the title, and I'm a normal geezer from the streets of inner Chelsea. I'm the 800 equivalent of Wayne Gretzky. Ovetti can't touch me in Prefontaine, distant number three. But enough. Let's talk about Qatar and the jam-packed crowds in Doha. Bad venue? That's a cheap jibe. Qatar won due to a fantastic bid by the delegate committee. <laughs> Look at the performance of KJT and Ardina on a gold medal spree. I'll say again, we've sorted... Drugs, we've caught the bad guy in his thug. Salazar was the only one. For the next four years, his time is done. I have no suspicions of the following three. Bleep, 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 Kloofy. <laughs> so all you dissing, be quiet. The words were fine. Be quiet. Everyone was clean. Be quiet. Best on the scene. Be quiet. Microphone dropped from the House of Lords. And he says the music was based on Shut Up by Lo- London Grime star Stormzy. And he oh. sent a YouTube link. And I watched it. The guy's pretty good. But British rappers are funny because they're doing it in the Queen's English, and it's just never not going to be funny to me. This, I, so I, I yeah, like I said, I, I think our listeners probably could have heard it, like on the actual one I inputted. Like I said, when I'm playing it through a mic into your, you know, through a that, it's just, it's not meant for that. Um, but this is phenomenal. I mean, these this this great these rhymes, this everything is is so well done. All right, next time we're going to get to the voicemails. We got some voicemails that we're going to get to next time. We have Trevor that we're going to get to as well. We mentioned. Tom, Dan, et cetera, et cetera. We'll get to you guys next week. I promise. I promise. I promise. <laughs> Thanks to our guest, Alex Hutchinson. Thanks uh, to you, Jason, and happy birthday to you. Hopefully you're going to be getting something <laughs> in the mail. Come on, guys. Come through. Somebody. You're on the Beaverton campus. You're bored. you got an extra pair just lying next to your desk. They only cost like $700. <laughs> Help make Jason's day. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.
<laughs> Jessica Ennis. It's still not the shoes. I'm sorry. It's not. How many people do I need to bring on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs>